Today, I have an awful responsibility to tell you, Trinity Baptist Church, something about the tragic events of these last days and the discoveries of hundreds of bodies in all in the name of Christ. So to help us have wrap our minds around all this is uh, 2 Timothy 4. And I'm going to delve into verse 3, and five, uh, verse three to 5. But uh, let's read the whole, uh, let's read from verse 1 to verse 8. Always, it's a good practice to have a grasp of the context from where the verses that we're going to delve into comes from, lest we twist the scriptures to our own destruction, like many do. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having eating years, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded and you are suffering through the work of an evangelist who fill your ministry. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved is appearing. Verse 3 through 5 gives a, the diagnosis, a diagnosis and a solution to cults or cults. And that's what you're going to deal with. But first, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. O Lord our God, the revealer of mysteries, God of truth, we look to you to help us. To hear your word clearly, simply, powerfully, with unction of the Spirit, with much conviction, give us a grace to receive your word. Enable your word to settle in our hearts, our minds, to change our perceptions and our wills so that we would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. The expose of Paul McKenzie of the Good News International Church in Chakahola, Kilifi County, and the many deaths of people who supposedly starved themselves to death with the expectation of going to heaven, 
the mass deaths that have been reported at Good News Prayer Center and Church of Ezekiel Odera have all continued to be a cause of great grief, shock for everyone. We all are shocked and condemn that kind of teaching or indoctrination that is unbiblical with the strongest words possible and say, this is not Christianity. And it's an indication of the effects of false teaching in heresy. We're told that as at yesterday, the Red Cross has reported over 400 people still missing. They say more than 200 are children, minors. Such tragic deaths in the name of our most holy Christian faith cannot go unnoticed, even from a pulpit that believes in consecutive expository preaching of God's word. We have to make a statement. We have to make a statement because there's, there's been calls from left, right, center for the government to regulate churches as a result. And those who believe the Bible must distance themselves from such teachings. And that's what we're going to do today. So today we shall explore the diagnosis of, of cults and cultism and occult. Cult simply means a smaller sect that subscribe to a particular doctrine which is, which is not the orthodox doctrine. It could be that they've lifted up a verse above the rest. So when it comes to occult, it goes not just into the teachings, but into the practices that are of darkness, that lead to death. There are secrets, things that no one knows really outside of the that group. But we need to realize that error leading to false teaching, leading to heresy, leads to cultism, cultism and then eventually occult. That is how you can graduate things. And that's why no pulpit should ever tolerate any error being propagated from, its pul uh, from, from, from the pulpit. As we shall see, churches in Kenya are sufficiently regulated. Such perpetrators as these men and many others are simply not Christians. Yes, they may carry the largest Bible there is around their armpit. It's not Christianity. Christianity is not about carrying a Bible. Christianity is about 
teaching, believing the Bible, and living it. All these problems of error, heresy, cult, occult, it's not something that has begun with these two men. It's something that has been there ever since. And the Lord God is not caught unawares by these kind of actions. But ever since the charismatic renewal movement swept the Christendom, there has been more of cult and occult than ever. But again, as I said, these are not things that are new. And so the Lord God, our soldiers, Christ Jesus did tell his apostles in Matthew 24, verse 23 through 28, these things will come. Is it? Then if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. Does that sound familiar? So as to lead astray, if possible, even they let. See, I have told you beforehand, the Lord says. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from east and shines as far as the west, so, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is there, the vultures will gather. Miracles, signs and wonders are the bits that false teachers and cult leaders used to lure their victims. They entice them with promises of better life, deliverance from poverty, healing from diseases, restoration of broken relationships like marriages or parents and children, success in businesses, success in school. Sadly, victims who are gullible and greedy swallow it, line, hook, and sinker. And that's what we are seeing then in Shakahola. Of course, all these services never come with a free coupon. They are always charged. False teachers are very imaginative. They will use every means to get to their wealth. For example, this Ezekiel sells what he calls holy water and handkerchiefs to heal all sorts of diseases and to ward off witchcraft and other spells. As you sit here, you may have received a text from him saying, send so much money and I will show you the, uh, your star. This man, are not the only prominent false teachers around. We have David Ward. We have Manuru down here. 
The likes of Mwiru have done their bait about touching the radio and the TV so that you could be healed. Many others. Tamasato, but most of them are very greedy and loud, even blasphemous and arrogant. But again, as I said, God is not caught unawares. He exposes many false prophets beginning with Balaam. We read of him in Numbers. Numbers 22. Balaam, the son of Beor. Or the Lord tells us of how King Ahab gathered for himself hundred false prophets in 1 Kings 22. And you remember how Zedekiah, the son of Kenana, and the hundred prophets guaranteed the king that he was going to win the battle until Micaiah, the son of Imla, came. The true prophet of God. What I'm saying is, there is only, from that text, there is 1% true prophets in the land. The 99 are false prophets. And the Bible says, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. 2 Peter 2, 3. And Peter goes on to say in 2 Peter 2, 12 to 21, but this, referring to the false prophets, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught, and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their, in their destruction, suffering wrong as a wage for their wrongdoing. These prophets counted pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They've gone astray. They've followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. The Bible says that these prophets are waterless springs and mists driven by the storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. And they would not be able to hire any lawyer against this day. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilement of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Does that sound like Mackenzie selling his property in Kilifi in Malindi and going to Shakahola? The last state has become worse. 
for them than the, the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness. And after knowing it, to turn back from the holy commandment, believe it to them. Jude 10, 13, describe them like this. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, they like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. They walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clowns swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted. These are wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for forever. Bible is very clear. There are too many heretics, too many cults, too many occultism. Why? The Lord says in his word that the reason is because this is one of the activity of Satan. Paul states this so categorically in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 and 12. He says that the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So God has sent a very strong delusion to, so that people may believe what is false. God punishes them by letting them continue believing what is false so that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in all, in all this unrighteousness. So if you love sin, if you love error or heresy, then God abandons you to that error. He gives up people who do not love the truth to let them believe lies. What this means is that those people who are dead, the government wants us to believe that they are victims. They're really not victims. They are accomplices. They are equally culpable. They are also under the punishment of God because they did not love the truth. They did not believe the truth. So God gave them up in punishment because they acted against the light of his word and their own consciences. He gave them up to debased minds because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they prefer to worship creature. They serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. But then I bring it home to your feet. How do you tell 
if TBC is not a cult? TBC is regulated by the Lord himself in his word. That's why the word of God is so central in our teaching. We never go beyond what is written. We are willing for questions to be asked about each of our beliefs and practices. Pastors are not self-appointed. Rather, pastors are appointed by the congregation. And then there is a constant re-evaluation by members of the performance of each of the pastors. Pastor Dominic's triennial re-evaluation is coming up in May. For those of you who are new, you would know what this means when we sit down to discuss uh, him. There is commitment to not have a one-man show. So we believe in the plurality of elders. You would know cults by some of the following marks. Cults are opposed to critical thinking. Anyone who dares question the man of God, anyone who dares question the leader, will know what that means. Yes, he will be told, Thou shalt not point thy finger against the Lord's anointed and so many other things to intimidate. They are ostracized, but we must learn from the Bible to be Bereans. Faults tend to be exclusive and they isolate their members from general public so that if anyone wanted to leave, then he or she is penalized. Cults would regard themselves as the only ones who are right, the only ones who are true. And everyone else, they would say, is wrong. And then they also come with unbiblical conduct, behavior. It might not be depriving themselves food and water until they die. Now, that's not fasting, by the way, because fasting is always done with, with prayer. There's no fasting without prayer. And there's a difference between fasting and starvation. The Lord fasted, and he ate after that. And there is no reason to believe that there is any fasting without water based on how God has composed us. They also tend to dishonor the family unit, breaking the law of the land. Now, you know that yesterday there was another cult discovered in Joro that one people were locked up in a house. Nineteen of them were children, aged between two and seventeen. Thankfully, there was this young lady whose mother had secured a job for her. She's from Moist, uh, I think it's from Moist Bridge. 
and it is through her phone that was traced to this house in Jordan. Separating her from her mother, separating her from her children. No regard for the family unit. The text before us provides us both with the diagnostics of a cult and it also provides a proper and balanced and sufficient remedy. Now we shall understand the diagnosis and then move on to the, to, to the remedy. First of all, the text tells us that a time will come, verse 3, when people will not endure sound teaching. Cults do not follow the Bible in its entirety. They may pick up a verse or set of verses and elevate them above the rest of the scriptures because they do not endure sound or healthy teaching. The word sound there also means healthy, true, faithful teaching. You don't like the biblical doctrines. If you look at the Mormons, for example, they lift up an obscure text, like 1 Corinthians 15, 29. Do you know what it says? Now, it says, it speaks about being baptized on behalf of the dead. And they have large pools in their temples. Baptize people on behalf of the dead at a fee. Always at a fee. The Seventh-day Adventists lift up the fourth commandment in the Old Testament above the rest of the ten commandments. The Roman Catholics lift up the Lord's Supper to be a sacrifice of Christ in what they call the Mass. All these are signs of people who would not endure sound teachings. And because they do not endure sound teachings, they prefer extra-biblical revelations to the Bible. Extra-biblical revelations would take different forms. It could be written, or it could be live visions. For example, the Mormons have the Book of the Mormons. The Seventh-day Adventists have the writings and revelations of Ellen G. White. The Roman Catholics have the Pope speaking ex cathedra. Do you know what that means? That's a Latin, Latin phrase meaning not from the cathedral, but from the chair, from the throne. And that phrase has religious origins uh, being applied to decisions made by popes from their thrones. So when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, on issues of faith or morality, it is infallible. Pope Francis is preparing the world, speaking scavenger regarding LGBTQ agenda. Watch the space. The charismatics have the man of the man of God syndrome. Maybe called a pastor. He may be called an apostle. He may be called a prophet. When the man of God speaks visions, those visions are regarded 
as infallible or equal to the Bible, for they bring them to bear on the lives of people. They do not endure sound teachings. If you invited them to Trinity Baptist Church, they would find this teaching very boring. Because they want me to walk down the aisle shouting to their ears. That's what they would prefer. They would prefer lies. And so if I decided to, to, to have someone design a poster for me, promising that if you come and lick my boot, you're going to be a millionaire, I'm telling you there would be no parking space for you. They do not endure sound teaching. That's what the Bible says. But then they also have itching ears. Their ears are sick. They are ever itching. Bible says, they have itching ears. These are times when the Bible says that the people will not only fail to endure sound teaching, but their ears will be each wanting to hear certain things. And they would only listen to the preacher who will tell to them these things that tickle their ears. It may be from the Bible, it may be from their dreams, it may be from their visions. If he is going to tickle their ears, they will go to him. It doesn't matter if he is in Mavweni. It doesn't matter if he is in Shakahon. It doesn't matter if he is in Joro. He will, they will go there. They have itching ears. And you well know what to do when you have an itch. If the itch is here and you can't reach it, what do you do? You look for a stick and rub it. You can go on the wall and when they have these itching ears, they will not come to you if you're not going to tickle their ears. People with itching ears have fleshly appetites. And they want to satisfy these sensual desires. They don't want to hear faithful exposition of scriptures because faithful exposition of scriptures will, will do what? Will yank the heart of flesh, that's painful, will renew their minds. Now, that's re really not tickling their ears, is it? Truthful exposition of God's word will not tickle people's ears, but will touch hearts and transform minds so that people are conformed to the image of Christ. But you know, someone whose ears have, are itchy don't get transformed, do they? Each comes, each goes. It never really leaves. So you can't be sure where you will each next. These people find truth boring. And that's why Paul, in writing to Timothy about the first point, what does he say? 
they will not endure. He doesn't say they will not enjoy. He says they will not endure. It means to them for a true teaching is boring. It's tiresome. It's burdensome. You require endurance. They do not want to hear the world counsel of God. If Paul preached to false teachers, he would not be able to tell them that I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, but I brought you everything that is profitable because they would not endure it. So they pick a verse here. They would say, Oh, tell the righteous it shall be well with them. You, they, they will pick that up. And they will tell you what will be well with you tomorrow. Say tomorrow. That's how they preach. Tomorrow you shall be driving a Mercedes Benz. Say, say Mercedes Benz. Because to them, this has to be pronounced. The words have to be repeated because the power of the tongue. Praise God. I was once a charismatic preacher. The Lord delivered me. They pick a verse here, a verse there, so that they can tickle your ears. And people love it. People love it. I mean, who does not enjoy being scratched where it is itchy? Who doesn't? They would have comedies and jokes. And make people love. And people enjoy it. They will tell their hearers of the riches and wealth of this world. But then they skip a very important rinder. They don't say that the wealth of this world is where moth and rust destroy and where thieves steal. They don't say that. And all the while, they are hiding the treasures of Egypt, uh, excuse me, the treasures of heaven. They want every treasure now and here. See, some of the people who have died in this Shakahola cult, they came from as far as not just here. I mean, you, you hear people who came from Vihika, from Isumu, from Meru, but then you also hear people from Uganda and DRC and Tanzania. One might say that they were driven there by their own life's problems. They wanted a preacher who would tell them the solution to their problems. But what did they hear? It is how they can prosper in their businesses. How they can fight love and get a spouse. How they can be healed without going to the hospital and without taking a single tablet. It's how they will prosper in this life. But surely, the Bible and the gospel was accessible to, the, to these people. But they chose to go to Mavueni. They chose to go to Shakahola to starve to death. 
There were churches in their villages. There were faithful pastors there, but they chose not to listen to these preachers. They stayed, went to their bus stage, they paid fare, and they traveled all the way, enduring all that journey for them to die. They went for their nyota, and that is their itching ears being tickled. Now, let me tell you something. I have no plans to tickle anyone's ears. So if you want your ears tickled, please go elsewhere. We have no desire to tickle anyone's ears. Tell you of sins and rebuke you for it. We will tell you what God says in his word. We will declare the whole counsel of God to you. We will not apologize when it is boring. I will not shrink from declaring to you or withhold anything that is profitable spiritually to you. Amen? Thirdly, these people will not stop at failure to endure sound teaching. They will not stop at having their ears tickled. The Bible says that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Inappropriate, inordinate loyalty to the leaders is another mark of a cult. Accumulating for themselves teachers who will suit their own passions. They become loyal, too loyal, these teachers. They would be willing to be stepped upon as a preacher preaches. They would gladly tell lies to assuage and please their pastors. They would sell all their possessions and give to the preacher man. They would do anything to make their preacher happy. Like, if the preacher wanted the streets of Nakuru washed, they would do that. What is that when the mighty prophet of God is coming into our city? It's nothing. They would even drink poison if the preacher wanted them to do so. Do anything, including serving themselves to death. Heard of uh, William Branham? Have you heard of uh, Odetto of Legio Maria? When they died, they would not even believe that these men were mortal men. They accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion. So, when they feel like Moiro's power is diminishing, they go to Mainanganga. If Mainanganga's powers seem to be waning, go to Manyuru. If Manyuru's powers are not really being so powerful, go to Mavueni. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. It is this crowd that prop up this man. 
It's this crowd that accumulate themselves teachers to suit their own passions, to show, and this shows them that their followers of false teachers are not victims. They're equally culpable. They prop up these false teachers by financing them. I read recently of a guy who sold his 100 million property and gave 20 million to this Mackenzie guy. Sold a 100 million property or 20 million to give to the. Think about this. A hawker or a mason within less than a decade is driving a Lexus 5.7 liter engine, 5,700cc engine. They're propped up by their ears. Their ears are willing to buy holy water. Their hearers are willing to do anything to prop up this man. So I'm saying that the followers are also guilty of raising these men up. And there is no shortage of false teachers. It can be said that there is no profession that has as many quirks as gospel preaching in the world. We've heard of quack doctors like Mugawa Wairimon, haven't we? He was thankfully jailed recently, nine years. Thank God. Now, the consequences of a quack doctor or malpractice is only a lifetime. A quack lawyer or a quack severe can mess up one financially. But a quack pastor, a quack doctor of the soul, can very easily mess up one's soul. Think about the hundreds who we hear have been served. False teaching, my friends, is poison to the soul, regardless of the amount that you may drink. In fact, there are more false teachers than true teachers because of the activity of the devil. This is why the Bible says that the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. True servants of God are few. There are too many heretics, too many imposters, too many charlatans. Too many scammers. They come in all forms and color. You would hear Mara Kanyari, Mara Helicopter Ministries, all those things. Too many heretics. Too many. Accumulation. You're talking of numbers. Themselves teachers suit their own especially passions. Fourthly, these are people who turn away from listening to the truth. That's what the Bible says. They will turn away from listening to the truth 
Because there are too many false teachers, many will turn away from listening to the truth since all they hear are lies. Let me give you a simple exercise to show you that there are too many false Today, on your TV, go count the number of channels of preachers and what they are teaching. And come back, tell me next Sunday. Radio stations, you will find false preachers are so, so many. You can scroll like 50 channels of Christian channels, you do not hear any truth being taught. But let me tell you the reason. Truth does not sell. That's why we are only a handful here. Truth does not sell. Go to the streets. If you've been to Nairobi in the evening, you will see hawkers. And uh, some of them will be saying 200, 200, 200, 200. They're selling something. And others will be saying, let me not repeat that. But the guy who is lying to the public, who is also selling 200, will have more on his soul than the guy who is saying this is the truth of the actual price that he is selling. But the one who will cheat you tends to have a bit of mileage for whatever reason. Truth seems not to sell. People do not love the truth. Woe to those who call truth false and false truth. They call evil good and good evil. They, they call light darkness and darkness light. They've turned away from listening to the truth and so they prefer error. Some of them may have abandoned good pastors who rebuked them for their sins and have gone to Mavuen. Pastors who would have counseled them wisely using the Bible have been rejected. They preferred Mackenzie and Ezekiel and Manure in a war. So they flocked there in their droves because they've turned away from listening to the truth. They flocked there in droves, poured lots of money to enrich the man of God. The reason why Ezekiel fills up a 60,000 Pasarani stadium is because too many people will not endure sound teaching. But about those itching ears, they don't love truth. To them, salvation by grace alone is not sufficient. They want to be told how they can be rich in this world. So I ask, just to show that they do not love the truth. They turned away from listening to the truth. Why do these people not preach about the holiness of God or the sovereignty of God? 
Why? Why do they not teach to such big crowds about the evil of sin? Why do they not talk about the salvation of sin, uh, from sin by the work of Christ? They don't tell you about Christ Jesus and his perfect righteousness. They don't tell you about Christ Jesus and his vicarious death on the cross. They don't teach about the sole mediatorship of Christ as our prophet, priest, and king. Why? Because this will not sell. They've turned away from the truth. Why do they not teach about the beauty of the church as a bride of Christ? Say nothing about the two offices in the church of elders and deacons, because that would fire them. Why do they not tell us of Christian living and train their followers to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age? Why do they not tell people to wait for our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ? Why do they not speak of the fact that Jesus Christ gave himself for us to, rede to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are zealous for good works? Why do they not teach about godliness with contentment? Why do they not tell their hearers that we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world? So I ask you, do you take the truth of God's word seriously? Are you only a hearer of the word or a doer too? The Bible says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Please, do not turn away from listening to the truth. Do not go to the scammers. Don't want to be scammed by these so-called men of God. Because their God is their belly. That's what the Bible says. But listen to what they like. Fifthly, people wander off into myths. In these cults, myths abound. It is stories and jokes. The Bible says people depart from the true faith to devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are sealed. These teachers turn to irreverent selimids, 1 Timothy 4.7. They tend to be puffed up with conceit and understand nothing. They have unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. They sell fear. There's nothing that I enjoy uh, listening to the president say than Usiniusie Woga. These people, they know how to sell fear. You know how they do it. They invented a doctrine called generational curses. 
in order to intimidate people. In order to cause fear and anxiety in the lives of people. And when people fear, they do what you want them to do. Look at the cost of their houses, where they live, the vehicles that they drive. When people wander into myths, stories, endless stories, instead of learning the word of God, then damage, cost, is great. And just to show you how costly these myths and endless genealogies have been, you can look at their net worth. You can look at their net worth. And you would know that falsehood and error business is a booming business. But don't open it. I read an article done in 2020 uh, putting the, the different preachers' net worth as follows. Uh, it was estimated that the Kiunas have 5 billion shillings, or were as 3.5 billion. Wanjiro, Muiro, Wahome, Kanyari, 2.5 billion each. Wairimo, 1.5. Mark Karaoke, 1.1. This is in 2020, before COVID. You can imagine how much was made after that. The man who is causing havoc has a, they, they say he has an 800-acre property. The other guy has 65-acre property. To them, godliness is a means of gain and profit. They would sell wind to make more money. You know, people are told that this is the bread of God they will buy. Avoid such people. Avoid such people. Flee from them. They will tell you that you will be blessed, and all the while, there is only one person being blessed. You know who that person is? You will be blessed. You will be blessed. Really? It is, I will be blessed. That's what they mean. Beware of them. Avoid such people. Flee from them. So we draw to a close. Let's ask, what is the solution? What is the solution to all these things? Number one, always be sober-minded, is what the Bible says. For you, as for you, Always be sober-minded. You, be sober-minded. What does this mean? This is an imperative, an active verb, which calls us to be self-controlled, to be sensible, to be serious, to be composed. A sober-minded person is both thoughtful and restrained because he is a clear-headed man, or woman for that matter. 
This is the opposite of being drunk. You know, when you're drunk, you lack sobriety in thinking. You imagine that the crowd is here, isn't it? Lack of sobriety. Peter puts it like this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. To be sober-minded, your mind must be prepared for the right action. A sober-minded Christian is discerning. He asks these questions every time. Okay, Mr. Pastor, you said that if I fasted, I will meet with Jesus in heaven. Please, would you show me the book, the chapter, the verse? You ask, what does the Lord say about this matter? Where do we see anyone in the Bible fasting and starving to death? Where? By example, where? What does the Bible say? Is it written in the scriptures or is it written only in your mind, Mr. Preacher? Can this be proven from the word of God? But then you see there is a problem there. Many people don't read their Bibles. Many people are ignorant of the scriptures. They are contented to say, Pastor Murungi knows the scriptures, and that's all they leave it. No, you must grab your own Bible and read it every day. You don't want to be deceived. And then the other question to ask is, is this historical? How has the church handled a matter like this in the church history? This is because we are not the first generation Christians. We are not Adam and Eve, neither we know us. Christians have been living. The head of the church, Christ, by his spirit and the word, has provided for us all that we need for this life and for godliness. Always be sober-minded. And when you put down your sobriety, your pocket will be emptied. Do you hear that? When you fail to be sober-minded, your pocket will be emptied and eventually your soul will be lost. Be discerning. Never fail to discern. Be a Berean. Always a Berean. Always open, open your Bible and always read it and study it. Learn the doctrines of the Bible every day. Never be tired. And so the Bible says, always be sober-minded. Remember that blessed is the man who does not delight in the counsel of the wicked. A man who does not stand in the way of sinners or in the seat of scoffers. But a man who meditates on the law of God day and night. And what is he like? He's like a tree planted by the streams of water. That's what he is like. And if you want to prosper, yes, there you have it again. 
Bible says he's like a tree planted by the streams of water whose leaves do not wither and who bears its fruit in season. Whatever he does, meditates day and night on the law of God. Is that you? Because you cannot be sober-minded without the word of God. And you cannot be sober-minded without the help of the Spirit who illumines the truth. Are you sober-minded as you come to church? Or do you leave your brain at home? Do you leave your brain and your intellect in your car or at the gate? Or do you come and reason? The Bible says that when Paul went to Corinth, or when he went to any town for that matter, he reasoned from the scriptures with people. And that's what we do. We reason with you from the scriptures. The opposite of being sober-minded is to be like children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every weed of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Ephesians 4.14 So, please always be sober-minded. Secondly, at your suffering. False teachers know that people are suffering. They know that we are in a fallen world. They know that we have to contend with the diseases and death. They know that we have to deal with broken relations. Then what do they do? They take advantage of people's sufferings. And they lie that God's children do not suffer. They promise solution to suffering without disclosing the riders. Come for solution, they say. But there is a fine print. It is at a fee. They promise healing without means. And so people die. They promise hope that deliver uh, but then they deliver hopelessness. They promise wealth, but deliver poverty to all and only wealth to themselves. They promise heaven, but as people commit suicide, they die and they go to hell without Christ. They offer empty promises. But as for you, be sober-minded. But as for you and your suffering, suffering is good for your soul on this side of eternity. Suffering is good for your soul, dear pilgrim to Zion. Suffering is good for my soul too. Suffering is the means that God uses to push us forward towards the celestial city. It is the sufferings that we have to deal with, that we have to endure, that helps us see that we have no abiding city here. Sufferings keep you focused to the eternal goal of your upward call. It is suffering that God uses as a means for our sanctification. Suffering is the means that God has given for our holiness. But they don't teach that. But the Bible says that whoever desires to live a holy life must be... Hey, where is your... 
theology of suffering. Whoever desires to live a holy life must be persecuted. It has been granted to us not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer with him. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then, heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with provided, we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Don't teach about the glories of the new earth and new heavens where righteousness dwells and contrast that and say that your present sufferings are nothing in comparison to the weight of glory there is to come. So my dear brother and sister, endure suffering. There is no quick fix or shortcut, but to endure suffering. This world is fallen, laden with sin. We have enemies, enemies of our souls. We have the devil, the world, the flesh. They are constantly up in arms against us. Sin does molest the children of God. Therefore, we must learn to count it all joy. When we fall into trials of various kinds, for we know that the testing of our faith produces tenfastness. And let tenfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we rejoice, though for a little while, if need be, we've been grieved by all these trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of our faith more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to resort in present glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Endure suffering. Rejoice in your sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope produces hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been shed abroad, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then thirdly, I know you don't like the, the, that one, but I have to tell you, do the work of an evangelist. This is a prescription of the Bible. This is a solution to all this false teaching. It's because you haven't been evangelizing. If you've been teaching the truth, witnessing to your mother, you'll not be going to Mavueni. I'm serious. If you've been sufficiently heralding the gospel of our Savior, there would have been less people there. In Shakahola. Don't throw stones to these men if you yourselves have not been evangelizing. Do the work of an evangelist, is what the Bible says. I know you, are, you can very easily say, well, that was to Timothy. 
That was to the pastor of the church. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, was the Great Commission given only to the 12? Now, there are people who teach that the Great Commission was only given to the 12. But I tell them, read that Great Commission to the end. What does it say? And lo, behold, I am with you to the ends of the earth. The apostles will be there to the end, to the, to the end of the age. Yeah. It is you, dear brother and sister in the Lord. Do you want to be read of believing a lie? Then proclaim to the world that the good news of salvation from sin is through faith in Christ alone, by his grace alone, the glory of God alone. Preach that the saying is trustworthy and is having a full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners even the foremost. Preach that there is only one God, the holy and only God, one mediator between this infinitely holy God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for many. Preach. Share the gospel. Preach to your relatives, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, your siblings. Evangelize your neighbors, witness your friends, teach your colleagues at work, preach to your fellows, their acquaintances, all of them. Do the work of an evangelist. No one in your circle should be spared from hearing that Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Sound the word of grace to all that Christ receives sinful men. And then lastly, fulfill your ministry. Fill your ministry. If you would not fall into debauchery of cults and falsehood, then as a Christian, you must believe the truth of God's word and live accordingly. You shall know them by their fruits, the Bible says. So you must bear the fruit of the Spirit. But you must also use your spiritual gifts in the church to fulfill your ministry. Do the right thing, so fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry to the Lord in his church. Fulfill your ministry in the family. Fulfill your ministry at work. Fulfill your ministry to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Fulfill your ministry to the state. Fulfill your ministry always. I want to make a statement on fulfilling your ministry to the government. The government must be obeyed in matters of the law. And the government must be obeyed in the matters of the law insofar as the law of the land does not contradict the law of God. If the state officers tell us as church to obey laws of men rather than the law of God, what shall be our response? We shall obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29. But the Christian church is composed of law-abiding citizens. Because rarely do you have the government telling you to disobey God. Because the church 
is equally, just like the church is, a servant of God. The state is given the sword by God and does not wield that sword in vain because there is no authority except from God. So, obey the state. But then having said that, the church and the state are on equal footing before God in terms of the responsibilities given. The government is to punish the evildoer, the Bible says, and to reward the good. The church is instituted by God to be his embassy by which his kingdom is established on earth. The church is regulated by the law of God, by the Bible. And I've read for you many, many, many texts to show how the Lord regulates his church. The Bible is the means by which God regulates his church. And the Holy Spirit has appointed overseers to shepherd the flock of God. These overseers turn wrong who will punish them. God, first and foremost. But then if in their being wrong, they have broken the law of God, then they should also be punished by the law of the land. There is no constitution that can regulate faith. No penacode can regulate the conscience of man. The Kenyan government already regulates churches. There is the, the, the Societies Act requiring registration, filing of the annual returns, having a constitution which conforms to the government's uh, requirement, many other things. So this talk of regulated churches is misguided, and it shows the government's own failure to require its citizens, Christians and non-Christians alike, to observe the law and their own failure to enforce the law. The Kenya Christian Professionals Fellowship issued a statement yesterday. They say, among other things, there have naturally been loud calls for more stringent regulation of religious groups and institutions. Such calls have been made in the past and at one point, unfortunately, resulted in administrative actions, moratorium on registration of faith-based institu institutions, which only compounded rather than solved the problem. It seems evident that the enforcement of existing laws would have stopped the Shakahola tragedy early enough to prevent most of the deaths. Remember that the this guy who was already in the radar of the law, how many years back? 2017. The true Christians are law-abiding citizens because we are guided by the word of God and we are guided by the spirit. But if a Christian breaks the law of the Lord, he must be judged accordingly and not begin casting aspersions and denouncing the rest of the church in totality, in wholesale. 
a Christian leader must not teach any lawlessness. So when anyone teaches lawlessness, he needs to be dealt with on his own, uh, for his own failures and for his own uh, crimes. So when we, we come to the teaching of Mackenzie, where he taught his followers to sell their properties and give him the money and starve themselves to death in the name of fasting, he was not teaching the Bible. His own victims knew that because they had the Bible. They could have read the Bible. He was teaching his own whims. He was teaching his own error. We know that. The Bible condemns killing or murder, whether self-murder or murdering other people. The sixth commandment is, you shall not murder. And what does that commandment require us? It requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and those of others. But the Bible says no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes. In other words, he fiends and cherishes it, clothes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And so we value our own lives. And we also value the life of others. You remember when Obadiah hid the prophets of God and provided them with water and bread when Queen Jezebel wanted them dead? This is fulfilling the Sixth commandment. And this commandment forbids the taking away of our own lives or the lives of, other, uh, of our neighbor unjustly or whatsoever tends to that. So when you tell people, stop eating, stop drinking water, die, that's not the Bible. So in conclusion, we have to be sober-minded, we have to be vigilant, we have to be biblical. We are to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governor sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Because this is the will of God, that by doing good, we should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Leave as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but leaving as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor. Amen.